Just Being Honest, the JBH Podcast. Let's rock this. True food, full thought. Today's episode of the Just Being Honest Podcast is brought to you by Dr. Bronner. Guys, this is one of my favorite brands, and considering it is Pride Month, you can get any color, any color of the rainbow of their products. They come in so many different varieties. One of my very, very, very favorite soaps is the sugar, gosh, sugar tea tree. I don't even know. It's all in one. It is super thick. It's super emollient. Sticks to your face, but gets off all the residue that Maybe you've been uh, packing on um, for your day of summer fun. So pick up some Dr. Bronner's. And guys, since we are so prideful in this month, we have a giveaway. All right? A giveaway. It includes 18-in-1 hemp lavender pure castile liquid soap, the lavender coconut organic hair cream, the 4-in-1 lavender organic sugar soap, which is, guys, what I love, the lavender coconut organic hand and body lotion, the lip balm, the baby unscented organic magic balm, which has a little CBD in it. it. makes me super calm at night. I put it on every night before bed. You can't go wrong with Dr. Bronner's. It's organic. It's fair trade. And it's packaged in 100% post-consumer recycled plastic bottles. So you know you're not only doing well and good for your body, but you're doing well and good for the environment. So enter to win our Dr. Brunner's giveaway. And if you don't want to enter our giveaway, spread the word. Or pick up some from the grocery store, your local market, wherever you shop Dr. Brunner's. Have some pride this month. But moving on to our guest for today, Alicia Oxy is our guest. I am so excited to have her on here. She is an actress, a producer, a director. You may recognize her from the movie The Other Woman with Cameron Diaz and Leslie Mann. Oh my gosh, hilarious movie that has changed my life. If you haven't seen the movie, which you should have, Go watch it right now. You're going to die laughing. But she is not just those talents. She's a voice. She is an intelligent mama. She does it all. She's the cutest little girl, which in this episode, you'll, uh, you'll hear that little Vita definitely woke up from her nap. You'll hear exactly what it sounds like to be a woman that is not only talented in her professional world, but talented in her home and domestic life. She gives you empowerment that you can do it. You can do anything you want. It all starts with your mind. It all starts with your mind and telling yourself that you can do it. Take a chance. Go with your heart and follow your dreams. And that ego Ego is the great killer. So join me as we introduce her projects to come and talk a little bit about mommyhood and the confidence within that. All right, 
We're jumping in. We're diving in. Here we go. The JBH podcast is starting in three, two, and one. Hi, guys. This is your host, KB, and this is the Just Being Honest podcast. Okay, it's Friday here in my world. I hope it's Friday in your world because uh, the sun is finally freaking shining in Los Angeles. I thought I was about to lose it. I actually texted a friend saying, is this the new normal? Because it was so gray for so long. But it's sunny and we have a beautiful guest on the show today. Her name is Alicia Oxy. She is, well... I'll let her introduce um, herself, but let me just give a little background, Um, a tiny bit, a tiny bit. She's an actress, she's a producer, she's a director. I'll let um, Alicia fill in some of her most recent projects, some things that she's been working on, um, where you may recognize her from, and uh, we're seriously just diving in because she's got a baby girl taking a nap, and you never know when that child's going to wake up. So let's go, girl. <laughs> Welcome to the JVH podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. So share us a little bit about your background. You and I have something kind of familiar. Well, actually, I have a funny story. So whenever I tell people I'm from Kansas, um, they say, oh, it's not on the East Coast, they think it's Kentucky. But no, you're from Kentucky. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'm from Kentucky, which is also not on the East Coast either. I don't think it's Southern really either. It's exactly. Midwest. It's Midwest. I, I don't get it. They're like, oh, you're Southern. I'm like, no, not at all. It's like way above that line. <laughs> way above the line. But we definitely, Kentucky is known for its Southern hospitality. But it doesn't, like geography-wise, doesn't make sense, that saying. But yes, we're very hospitable and nice people in small town um, and lots Lots of bourbon lots and of- lots of horses and nice women, nice people. We're known for being nice. We're nice for being nice and nosy. I know. People, actually, I had someone ask me, they're like, oh, you're from the Midwest. You're nice. And then they say, wait, are you? And I'm like, of course. What are you talking about? Um, but I want to ask you, tell me about your growing up. Because you live in L.A. just like me now. And tell me about growing up in Kentucky. Well, Growing up, I actually was in right outside Ferguson, Missouri until I was nine, Mm. and then I moved to Kentucky. So that, my upbringing, like my foundation was, you know, right outside Ferguson, Missouri. So I grew up as the minority and in a much different experience than Kentucky. So when we moved to Kentucky, like our neighbors brought us over pie and we threw it away because we didn't know what was in it. <laughs> and everybody would wave at us and you'd like look over your shoulder and like, who are they waving at? So I think it was such an interesting upbringing to go from this, to go from, you know, where we lived in Missouri and it just was, it wasn't the best part of town and we were, you know, getting by, um, you know, to all of a sudden now living in Kentucky and everybody's really happy and and wants to know all about your stuff. So it was a really interesting upbringing that way. It was a very small town. I love everybody there and I love my friends and family dearly, but I always just felt a little, I felt out of place, like I wasn't in the right place. Um, so my, my upbringing, you know, I played sports, went to an all-girl 
high school, went to private school, was raised Catholic, and I think I was just itching to get to a place that accepted me for me and not for the judgments of being the new girl in town or the judgments for wanting to be something different than what everybody else around me was doing. So my my childhood was good and balanced, but also quite alone and um, troubled and turmoiled at times. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I can... I, I think you can kind of... I mean, I'm from Kansas City. Along the same lines, I mean, it's... You have so much... How can I word this? So much space and so much emptiness. Um, and I'm from the, the burbs, the city, but there's so much time to just think and wonder. And, and I'm actually, I kind of left on the same note, you know, I was like, I, I don't fit in, you know, now being in California, people are like, Oh, you're from here. Aren't you? You know, I mean, I look kind of like a California girl. Um, but it's the same thing. So, so how old were you when, I mean, you moved there when you were nine, correct? Okay, yeah. so then you were there until graduation, and then you... Or wait, you went to college there. Yeah, I went to college there as well. Yeah, I went to the University of Kentucky. I got a scholarship there, and everywhere else that I applied to was like a 40,000-plus school. I don't know what I was thinking. And so I did go to school there. I finished in three and a half years and then had my U-Haul packed and came straight to L.A. Okay, so what did you, what did you go into in college? I initially was, doing, was a theater major, and... Uh, some of the theater classes, I was like, oh, I don't understand why I'm still being a tree and how this is going to help me. Get <laughs> so I switched to communications to get out as fast as possible. I also was working like two to three jobs in college and um, just always had my my goal in mind. But I think um, I think in my upbringing, I had a lot of shame around what I wanted to do because it was different than what everybody else was expressing that they wanted to do. And I didn't want people to look at me and think, oh, she thinks that she's better than us because she wants to be an actress. That was never the case. But I think it took me a long time to be able to vocalize out loud what I wanted to do and who I was and what my interests were because it set me apart even more from other people. And I already felt very set apart and kind of judged. So... I think I constantly, there was always trepidation around really going after what I wanted. But then as soon as I graduated and the U-Haul was packed and I started driving, there was just a weight lifted on the way here because nobody knew me. I moved out here. I knew one person um, and he'd already lived out here for four or five years. So it was just a very exciting time to be who I was and have the have the beginning of a relationship be with who I fully was. I'd never experienced that in my, I think I moved out here when I was 21, 22. In my 21, 22 years of life, I don't think I'd ever been fully immersed in who I was and comfortable with it and sh able to show that. So it was a really big adventure. And I knew nothing. And it's just starting from scratch and, and in the entertainment industry and how to do it all. Wow. So we, so, oh gosh, I mean, defining yourself, that identity, because so many people could be um, persuaded. And, you know, I talk a lot with my clients of, you know, the self-talk and um, the I am's. And you were mentioning a lot, I am this, I am that. And you can probably relate on the fact that you have all these people around you saying, are you crazy? Like, 
you're kidding me. Like, you think blah, 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 you know, talking smack. Yeah. Yeah, and I also, you know, I understand that I chose, uh, well, I don't know if I chose it. It's just always been in me. Uh, you know, I feel like my purpose is to be creative and to be a storyteller in front of the camera, behind the camera, on the side of the camera, wherever it may be. And I just don't think I saw that around me. I wasn't exposed. You know, this is not to date myself, but like the internet was still kind of gearing up, you know, during this time. And I, I didn't see a lot of people around me that were actors or we had the drama department at my school, but I was an athlete and you weren't allowed to do both. It was like, you kind of, exactly. you got pigeonholed. I think when you're growing up, everybody likes to be like, Oh, you're an apple. Oh, you're a banana. Oh, you're an orange. Like, and you can't be parts of all those things. And I think it's, you know, you're just a teenager and you're trying to figure it all out. So, and I had a lot of mishaps in my life and especially my senior year and some identity crisis moments that um kind of brought me to my knees and was able to look within and kind of rebuild myself and find the confidence to go after what I really felt like my purpose was and what my calling was yeah I mean um I don't need to get too personal about what those setbacks were but but in all reality I had a friend tell me he said how many times in life are you failing how many and if you say zero, then you're not getting anywhere. If yeah. You're, if you're, and this is, this might sound bad, but if you're not crying enough behind your closed doors and <laughs> feeling True. shitty True. on yeah. certain days, you know, you're not trying hard enough, you know? Um, and so I applaud you for that. And I, you know, even just like packing the damn U-Haul, you know, getting out here, like, I, I, I know how that feels as well, but um, I and the, the whole high school thing, I was a, I was sports too, and I can completely relate. You know, you you watch the the musicals, and you're like, I want to do that too, or, and you're like, but you can't because coach doesn't let you, or you're not allowed to do both because they both take up too much time. Mm-hmm. So you get to LA, you know, you know one buddy. Yeah. And did you share a bedroom with them or like how did you No, he lived in Malibu, like deep in Malibu, and I lived in Santa Monica and he worked at a bar right down the street from me. So for the first six months I didn't go out, I didn't do anything. I would go to Malibu to see him and it was beautiful and great. And then while well, I was trying to figure out what I was doing, then I got braces and oh. And then I, like, moved out to L.A. to be an actress, and now I'm single, 22, with braces. Having <laughs> it, was, it was such an interesting, reflective time for me. Let me just say that. So once you get braces, too, I was like, well, obviously I can't work for the next year. Nobody's going to hire a person with braces. So I had the whole year to kind of, like, really settle into L.A. and decide – have the universe or my spirituality or I was looking for signs that this is really what I was supposed to be doing. And the week I got my braces off, I remember I booked a movie and a commercial and an industrial. I booked three things. And that was such a beautiful sign. But also during that time too, I think I took off a lot of pressure about who I was. Remember the first night that I made friends was the first day that I got braces and somebody from my work called and was like, come out, come out. And I was like, I don't want to go out. I have braces. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> but I went out that night and I noticed that people, people adjusted the way they saw me. I don't know if it was because of the braces or what it was, but um, people were a lot 
my, I called them my magical braces. People were really nice to me when I had braces. <laughs> Maybe they, because honestly, like I, they could be magical braces, braces, but, but it's almost like that was your vulnerability at the time. Absolutely. And yeah. And it was right on my face. And I think I was more approachable that way. I think that first impressions, you know, the way a person looks versus the way a person feels, I would say 99% of the time is a contradiction. I think what you strive to do in life is, is to get people to see you for your essence versus your looks and in all things and race. And, you know, we have such a divide in the way the world sees people and and then, then how they immediately judge them. And that doesn't just go with just race. I just think it happens all the time. And I was, I think that in my childhood, because of the way that I looked, certain ideas of who I was were formed. And now when I had the braces, it was like this disarming quality on my face that allowed people to, um, I think, were more curious about who I was. She's it was really like me. She's just like me, right? Because you are, Alicia, you are a beautiful, beautiful woman. So, like, I can only imagine, well, I can only imagine that you were a beautiful child. Um, Well, I I think beauty has so many different facets, and I was born in this body and with this face, and I'm very grateful. Um, But I think I am so different on the inside than what I look like and what people... um, their first impressions are mm-hmm. of me. So I, I also do a podcast and I, I love doing it cause it's just my voice and people yes. can attach to the quality of, of my speech and the quality of what I'm speaking on versus, you know, my presentation of, of my energy in this body form. I get it. I get it. I mean, I hundred percent agree with you. Um, I grew up with, I mean, it's not even like, I wouldn't say it's, you know, vain to say like, yeah, I am beautiful, you know, because you are. And, and it is kind of, a lot of people have many different definitions of what beauty is. Um, I think you're beautiful. And, um, I love the whole podcast, what you said about the vocals, because, um, and we'll jump into podcasts since we are on a podcast. Um, it's such uh, like an open door to, release your intellect, you know, and be like, this is my voice. This is my power. This is my strength. You know, I am woman. Hear me roar, you know, and especially, um, let's go into your podcast. I want to talk about it because, so we went on to the magical braces. We might go back to the magical braces because I still we can want, go back to magical I, braces. I want to hear, well, okay, let's, let's, let's go back to that really fast because we're still on the timeline of you just moved to LA. You're in Santa Monica. You got, I don't know, a Craigslist apartment with some hoo-ha that <laughs> who knows who. Um, maybe you're still friends with that person. Maybe it was horrible. Um, it was actually two girls from my college, but we weren't oh. close friends when we moved out. So it was really funny because it was a definitely um, from not even, yeah, it was a very, um, it was a very fun experience. It was different. It was definitely different. But yeah, I did know the two girls that I moved out here with, but I knew them as like, I went to school with 30,000 people and they both went to my college. It's yeah. not like we knew each other intensely. Yeah. And what, what was your, what was your first job? Oh, I worked when I first moved to LA. I, my mom convinced me I had to have this like safety job and 
that I felt like that was the only way I could move out here. So I worked in outside sales for Rubbermaid, which basically meant that I went and built, built end caps at Home Depots. Nice. So I, they moved me out. They gave me a car, um, had insurance, like all this stuff. And every week I had to go and build, uh, Rubbermaid owns like 27 or 28 different companies. So I had to go and build in caps that would display their product. So at Home Depot, it would be power tools or blinds or whatever. But what I realized is that I got lucky and I got the highest grossing uh, Home Depot's accounts in, in, the, in the United States. So I had very little maintenance to do. So then what I was doing is I would go and check on my in caps and then go see movies and then yeah. go to auditions or try to figure out how to get into the industry. Like it was definitely, um, it was a definitely great side job to allow me to have the grace and to make all the mistakes, many mistakes of figuring out how to get into the entertainment industry. It was hilarious. Like I would go to the Ivy with my Rubbermaid mobile because on the side of the mobile, there was a huge sticker that said Rubbermaid. And I remember the first time I went to the Ivy because you have to, if you live in LA, at least once. (laughs) It's like Lamborghini, Porsche, McLaren, Rubbermaid mobile. <laughs> that hey, was one of my hey, you, you gotta, gotta do, do, right? That was one of my jobs. And then I worked at a gym. I would work in a gym for five in the morning to like eleven, then do the rubbermaid thing, and then I also was a waitress. What else did I I mean, I've worked at every single bar and restaurant in LA. I love it. Oh, yeah. I love it. So mom actually blessed you with a little bit of magic there. I mean, with yeah, they time. moved me to LA, which was great. I got a moving stipend, which was great. I had insurance because I had to have jaw surgeries. The braces—that was what that was for. So the insurance covered my jaw surgery, so it was, it was good. It got me here. Oh my gosh! And uh, I got a lot of good power tools, and I love me some good power tools. <laughs> so your hands, like, your hands on girl. Yeah, lucky, I do. lucky it's meditative for me to lucky. build stuff lucky family i want to see you should have like a whole you probably have like the best pinterest ever then you know what's so funny is i don't look at pinterest i use it for whenever i'm like crafting something and i guess i i still don't understand the whole following thing on pinterest but i have some boards for when like when i did my wedding and when i built my daughter's nursery yeah Cool, cool. So, um, so you got the magical braces off, and you booked like three simultaneous jobs. What was that movie? And what were the you said Uh, the commercial? I don't remember. The commercial was a DHL commercial. Yes. Uh, I don't remember what the other. I there was a third one in there. Something with Doritos. I feel like it was an industrial for Doritos or something. And then the other one was not another gay movie. That was my first oh. film. Can we find that on Netflix? Uh, I don't know if Netflix, but you can definitely find it. And it is definitely not my best work. That's for oh, sure. Yes, I love it. We need a TBT yeah. on this, please. Yeah. Um, okay, okay, okay. So let's move on. So so what, what year was that that you booked your – how long did it take to – from doing the Rubbermaid, scrounging around, trying to, you know, did you sneak into any, like, entertainment, like, Paramount? Oh, or, like, yeah. I want to hear all okay. these stories. Okay. I, I think that movie came out in 2005. I think I shot it in 2004. 2004, 2005. I got the braces on 2003, and I had them on for a year. So, yeah, I think it was 2004 that I shot the movie. 
Oh yeah, I did all kinds of things. I well, I had to mass mail to people. I couldn't get auditions, so I would crash auditions. Like I literally would go with somebody else, drive onto the lot with them, sign in, and they'd call me in, and they're like, oh, I don't see you on this sign-in sheet. I was like, oh, well, my agent, who I didn't even have one, my agent, like, called whatever. They're like, who's your agent? Made up with the agent. And they let me audition, and I would get callbacks for some things like that. And then I did Actors Access. I randomly would meet people. I remember I met the director of uh, Last Christmas, I think was the name of it. Um, I met him at 7-Eleven, and he called me in for an interview. Like, you just never know in L.A. I went to all the stupid parties trying to, you know, like, figure it all out, which I would not advise doing. I mean, yes, some of the parties were good, but it wasn't – that's not the way to get your talent to be seen, but it is who you know. And I think I've been doing it now for 13 – I've been working professionally for 13 years, and I would have to say in the last couple of years, like – who I know is what's keeping me working because, but it's not because I went to those parties. It's because I developed friendships with people or I connected with people on other projects. Mm -hmm. I do think I wish I could go back in time and be more secure in who I was or go to a different school for actual theater and or television and film. I really, that's my biggest regret in life is not, getting to go and spend eight hours a day getting to do what I love and really investing in that. But I do think that it's just, um, I was green and naive, but I showed up. I just continued to show up and I made mistake after mistake after mistake after heartache after heartache. I'm a self-taught storyteller. Mm-hmm. But in all reality, you are. I mean, you have, um, you have the book Life Letters. I do, yes. And um, tell us a little bit about Life Letters to our audience. So Life Letters is what I like to call a self-motivating book. I don't like to use the word self-help. One, because I just don't think that I'm educated to help anybody else. I think the self-help section of the world also is a little daunting and a little self-righteous, to be totally honest. I I own a gazillion self-help books, and I probably have finished one or two of them. What I noticed with self-help is that I would sit down to read these books, and they would be so dense and flowery, flowery in their language and concepts that I would feel worse about myself, or it would take me longer to finish them, so then it's delaying and procrastinating the help that I was needing for myself. So I went through a really tough time. It was 2007, 2008. I was engaged to get married, and I realized I had no idea who I was. So there was no way I could get married. Like, I just – and it it pained me. And I have all my – my most meditative, insightful moments happen in the shower. I don't know why. I know there's some scientific reason with – with water, but every day I would take a shower. I'm like, Oh my gosh, can me and my fiance at the time, I'm like, can we just be friends? Like it just, how do I, how do I get out of this so we can just be friends? So I called off the wedding and it wasn't just breaking up with him. It was breaking up with this whole community of people that I built around me for the last five years. You know, I showed up to LA, no friends. And all of a sudden five, six years later, I'm engaged. I have this beautiful group of friends. And now I'm saying, this isn't right for me. So I had to rebuild everything. I went on my pseudo honeymoon by myself with uh, a friend and I didn't really talk the whole time. And I just kept praying and I kept trying, like 
asking for any type of guidance. Like if there is a God or a spirit or a higher self, like help me, I'm struggling. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I had a really clear insight. I hiked Mount Sinai, went up one side of the mountain um, in the dark and came down the other side. And on the way up there, I kept saying like, if you gave Moses the 10 commandments here, like give me a sign, like give yeah. me, tell me something. And I got up to the top of the mountain and the, there was a constellation in the sky that was a perfect question mark. Like even my girlfriend saw it, like everybody saw it. And then I was so pissed. I was like, you gotta be kidding. Like, you've gotta be kidding me. So clearly there's not, like, if there is something out there, they have a really great sense of humor. Um, and, and I think I just surrendered at that point. I just, I, I remember like the breath leaving my body and just feeling myself like really sink into the ground of like, okay, I have no, I just have to sit in this uncomfortableness of, I don't know. And there are several questions in the world. And the next morning, as we hiked down in the daylight, I kept having these thoughts that I was going to write my ex fiance, like all these letters every day I was there to be like, this is, this is who I am. And this, if you could just love me for this, then we could be together. And on the, on the walk down, I, I heard like clear as day, a voice said, the letters are for you. The letters are for you. So I, I, I did this practice for myself, um, developing the, this letters and the book is very, it, it breaks it down into steps. And then I would open a letter every month and focus on whatever the letter was, um, that I had written to myself for myself as an area of concentration. And the big part of it at the end was remind, saying I love you, which was really hard for me to write. And it was really hard for me to read for a long time. Um, but what I wanted to do was it was an exploration in dating myself. Mm -hmm. So I think when you date people or when you develop friendships, you're so forgiving and you're so open to exploring who the other person is and you're excited. I wanted to turn that mirror and put it on myself. I wanted to figure out what I liked about myself. And here I was, I think I was 27 at the time, 28, and I didn't know who I was. And I think the biggest crisis moment of calling off the wedding, I remember going to lunch one day and the lady asked me what I wanted to order and I started crying. So I was like, I don't know if I want to say I'm a jerk salad because I don't know who I am anymore. I don't think I, I, don't think I ever knew who I, I was. So I did that. It was a practice for myself. It was very private with the exception of a few girlfriends. And then as the years went on since then, a lot of people started asking me, like, how did you do your letters? And also, I, the, at the, it was a year and a half that I did these letters. I actually still do them. But at the end of the, uh, the letter opening, my last letter was travel. And it said, if anybody asks you to go on vacation, you must say yes. Anybody, like, even if it's a stranger. And I had just started dating my husband now, like a week prior to opening this month's concentration. And he asked me to go to Israel to meet his family. And I said, yes. And um, five years later, we got married and I published the book uh, the week of the wedding. So everybody got a copy of Life Letters. Oh for coming to our wedding and then it was live and it was out there because I felt like what happened in that year and a half is I fell in love with myself and I attracted to me the partner that was right for me in my core and we were friends we were friends for several years I just never saw him that way because I didn't know who I was and as soon as I figured out who I was and what I liked and 
and what I didn't like about myself. I figured out what my strengths and weaknesses were, and I fully embraced both of those things. I think that's how you really formulate who you are as a person is when you can embrace strengths and weaknesses. And here was a beautiful man who was my friend for so long that all of a sudden, um, my pheromones <laughs> and I liked him a lot. All of a sudden, I liked him a whole lot. <laughs> I love it, that Kentucky girl. I um, was almost brought to tears when you were saying that because it's so true. And I, I'm going to speak for, I'm going to speak for a lot of, well, we'll focus on females uh, because that's what I know best. But um, it's so true. Like you date someone, you hang out with someone, um, you start to turn into a chameleon sometimes. Um, and especially in Los Angeles, there's so many, let's, let's just call it billboards. Blaring at you, you should be this, you should be that, and plus, you know, you're an actress, so it's like, how do I conform to be accepted, you know? And um, and on the dating level, it's so true. I know a lot of females um that are, I don't want to say serial daters, but they're not comfortable with being by themselves and seeing who they really are, and then they go me 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 why me 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 me, and and. You know, it's that you have to step back and you have to be alone. You have to be on top of the mountain at the break of dawn. Um, just staring at the question mark and, and being okay. I think yeah. it's we're, we're such a design society of impulses and wanting to fix versus allowing yourself to be in the sadness. I read this beautiful book called What Are Your Emotions Telling You? And your emotions are just an indicator for boundaries and sadness is just a call to go within. But yet for sadness, we either try to shove food in there or we, you know, we desensitize ourselves from our feelings from staring at our phones all the time or even for me, like watching a movie is an escape, but reading a book. When I went on that trip, I read six books. I was trying to escape my pain and my, the, the reality of being so uncomfortable. But the moment that I understood that I had to just be, I had to just be uncomfortable is, is the moment that like two hours later, it, the, everything came in so clear. And even with having my daughter, pain is so relative in terms of how your brain digests it and your brain and your body follow each other or your body will follow what your brain tells it. But honestly, if you can just listen to your body versus listening to your brain the majority of the time, I think we would be in a much healthier society. And when I had my daughter, my goal was to have her naturally. So I trained my mind in a way in which my body could do what it was supposed to do. And I will never forget the midwife that was training me did this whole thing of breathing through pain, breathing through it versus stopping right when you felt the pain. And I use that now for everything. And I think it's very relatable also to my life letters experience is that I, it was the breath, the breath grounded me into the ground and I surrendered. I love it. Um, you know, and it brought me to think of something else is like when you are alone, you are allowed to breathe. You are allowed to hear your breath. Do you know what I mean? And you're allowed to witness that and say, what does this feel like? How is and it? And up space. Oh, so much space. Um, and, you know, you were mentioning childbirth, and I want to go into that because um, I did a podcast with my sister who um, we talked a lot about her natural childbirth. Child 
birthing. Um, and she used a midwife and she, you know, was talking about, you know, the fear being just thrown at her. You know, I even talked to someone at the gym the other day and I was like, oh, you have a child, you know? And she goes, yeah, it's my one and only. And I was like, whoa, you know, like, and it's like, but you have to set yourself up like anything in life, childbirth, breathing through things with success, setting yourself up for success and battling out the brain. This thing sucks. I mean, you know, but your gut, that's why I love dealing with the gut brain connection because it's really is going with your gut, you know, in all aspects, you moving out to LA, that's your gut, you know, doing it. Um, so, so becoming a mother. So you got, um, you got married to your husband now. Um, and how long have you guys been married to? We've been married for three years. Oh, three years. Um, what's his name again? Lee. Lee. Ah, okay. So you and Lee had little, introduce, introduce, introduce your, your little family right now, because I want to talk about the motherhood. You breathed through, you breathed through it. And then we're going to talk about how you're raising this little girl, um, in your natural lifestyle. So, yeah, so Vida is two, Vida, and my husband's name is Lee, and what kind of introduction? Where do you want to start? Okay, okay, okay. So, you had your baby girl, and you thought, you thought, oh, I'm a mom, I've got to learn this script, or you just said, let's wing it. Oh, um, I, Vida's been, uh, let's wing it from the beginning. She decided when she was coming, we were not intending to have her when she decided to come she found an opening and she came flying in I love that about our our way of bringing her into this world but for that nine or ten months since I wasn't expecting to have become a mom at that point I think during my pregnancy is when I kind of came to terms with my fears of becoming a mother, my fears of my career changing, my fears of my family life changing, meaning my, like the relationship with my husband, the fear around my body changing, like becoming, being pregnant. Cause let's just say it's 10 months. It's not nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a reason why it's 10 months other than the scientific reason of obviously growing a human inside of you. But I think it's such a grace period. Um, and I talk to a lot of women about mourning. I think that you need to mourn your old life because life as you know it is never going to be the same. Your body's never going to be the same. The way you think, the way you feel, everything about you as a, as a woman is going to die and have a rebirth. And I think with men, I always say that like my husband would like just – it just amplified who he was, amplified everything about him. It amplified his his job. It amplified his love for me. It amplified everything. And I think the a female's experience is it's a death. It's not an uh, it's not this. Uh, let me shine a light on you and how wonderful and great you are in this this moment. It's let me get you ready for your rebirth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the moment you become a mother, the moment you go through labor, uh, we are we are a superior mammal in that, in that way, in that presence. And I was going to say human, I do think what we are capable of in our brains and our bodies. I mean, the world wouldn't exist without women. So let's just say it what it is. Women are superior. (laughs) After having a baby, I feel very confident in saying that. Um, 
so for me that the preparation was during pregnancy there was a lot of tears shed there was a lot of fear of never working again you know I found out I was pregnant while shooting one film and my first reaction was oh my god I'm never gonna work again my husband reminded me that I was working at that moment I was like yeah again after this <laughs> and I did four more films while pregnant and it was it was so lovely and um I think that once I had her, the moment, oh, the moment that I saw her eyes, it was the most, it was the most uh, speechless, just completely speechless. Everything that I had mourned and prepared for, it was like I, it was like I crossed the finish line. Like I was rewarded with this beautiful little spirit and body and the the idea of creation like I create I'm a creator that's what I do for a living that's what inspires me and it took me a year to come to the conclusion of this but I created her like there was no, there's moments where sometimes I put her to bed and I look at her fingernails and I'm like I made I made that I made you and to feel that love it's such a cliche that everybody says but until you experience it it's a love that's deeper it's a fear that's deeper because now Mama Bear just kicks into high gear. Um, I call it a purpose-driven experience, meaning as soon as you have a child, every everything that's not been serving you falls away. And the tension comes in if you're trying to still hold on to those things. Mm-hmm. You have to truly accept your new life. And I do think there's a, like a grace period around that. Like Just think about any time you start a new job, there's a training period. There's like this, you know, you get yourself in the groove. And for some reason, they think with motherhood that the moment that you hold this baby that you're going to get it all together. And it's a partnership between you and your child and figuring out a balance and respecting them as little people and learning how your new day-to-day works. I'm two, almost two and a half years in, and every day I'm still learning yeah. how to make it work. So you, you are a creator, you created this beautiful, beautiful little girl that, you know, you, you mentioned parts and times in your life that you maybe were struggling or questioning. How, how was your girl, I mean, do you feel that when she was born, that was the answer? I don't think it was the answer. It was the purpose. I've realized the years of therapy that I had been in, the struggles that I've been through were a purpose in creating an environment in which this spirit, in which Vita would come in. I truly believe that she chose me to be her mama and all the things that I've endured um, are to create the environment in which she will find her purpose. So I didn't look at it as the answer. I looked at it as, as the choice. Wow. I love that. So, so when you were, cause you, you mentioned she was a little bit of a surprise, but, um, during the 10 months, how did you nourish yourself and prepare yourself and train yourself, um, nutritionally, physically, um, fill us in on this. So I worked out, um, probably five, six days a week. Cause I really wanted to have her naturally. I've read, I read one book. It's called Inya May's Birthing from Within. And I loved it because the first whole chapter of it is 
Um, the first whole part of it is stories of women having birth. And then I started watching YouTube videos because I think this is the only country in which we don't see childbirth. We don't see our, our mothers or our sisters or, I mean, we see, I saw my sister, but you don't see other women constantly giving birth. So it's looked at almost as like a disease. So instead what I did was I did my best to look at it as a celebration. Like I, I took extra time at the end of every night to lavender, like bathe myself in oils and different, and different lotions to allow my body to stretch. And I did, I felt very attuned to my body. My, I'm a very spiritual, intuitive person, but when I was pregnant, I wasn't as spiritual and intuitive, which I thought was bizarre because everybody's like, oh my gosh, when you are pregnant, you're going to be even more intuitive. I was actually not, and I think it was because her energy was within me, but I was very grounded in my body. I think that the physical essence of creating her, like her body, the weight of her body and the protection of, of, um, of my uterus and everything that was, it really weighted me into the ground. And I did my best to, I meditated a lot with her and I talked to her. I talked to her so much. I talked to her a lot in funny ways. Every night I would, I just, I really wanted her to be funny. So every night I would tell her how funny she was. Um, I worked with different mantras for when I got closer to childbirth. My mantra was fast, easy, happy, healthy, comfortable, and beautiful. And I would say it when I was parked at stoplights, when I was when I was taking a shower, when I'd go for walks. Um, and she came so fast, so fast. She listened. She, I just treated her like we were in this relationship. And I treated my mind. I tried to fill my mind with as much positive. And anything that was negative and fearful, I didn't let it reside within me because I didn't want her to experience it. So I let it out. So if I was crying, at least I was releasing it. Um, and I expressed a lot of my fears with my girlfriends, mostly with my husband. Um, and I journaled a lot. I journal a lot anyways, but I just journaled even more. I started her a little journal cause I was traveling so much for work. I was going to all these beautiful places and shooting these movies. So I wanted her to kind of know the experiences that I was having. So my hope is that one day when, um, when she decides if she wants to be a mom that I can give her this journal she she can understand like that it's not always a joyous experience that sometimes it's a sad experience and sometimes you can't control your hormones and things are crazy and um I wanted her to be able to understand when she's older much older all the different emotions that are attached to to transitioning from a I would almost say a girl into a woman. I said to my husband last night, I'm, I'm not a girl anymore. I want people to treat me like a woman. I think once you become, become a mother, I think that's when woman is slapped into, into your description, even more so. And if you don't have children, you are still a woman. I just feel even more in my power as a woman having birthed a human being. For sure. It's the greatest gift that we have. Can you share with, oh, I, I think I hear her. Yes. Let me know if you have to go. Let me go check on her. Go, I might go check pause on her. for a second and I might have, she might have to be part of this podcast. It's okay. She can be part of it. I'll talk to the crew. Okay. Hold on. Okay. So as she goes and checks on her beautiful little child, um, I think we can all, well, what I want to bring up is that, um, we can all be birthed from within and, Alicia is sharing kind of a really cool insight and a cool connection that I'm going to bring her about um, kind of 
ask her about is that, you know, she is an actress, she's a producer, she's a director, um, she's a creator, she's a writer. Um, she had a child, she's a mother, you know? And <laughs> Alicia went, oh, there she is! Hi, sweet pea! Oh my gosh, you guys can't see, but I'm looking at, oh my gosh, does she have an amber necklace on? She does, yeah. Oh, a beautiful amber necklace. Well, what I was kind of telling the crew is that, um, and what I kind of thought of is that, you know, you giving birth to your child um, and birthing from within, um, you know, you're an actress, you're a producer, you're a director, you're a creator, you're, you know, just amongst all the things. And, um, gosh, what was I going to say? You know, birthing this child is like, kind of going through the Hollywood birthing scene of, yeah. well, no, in a way, like creating your projects, you know? Oh yeah. I look at every one of my projects as babies because people keep, of course, once you have a baby, people want to know when you're going to continue to make babies, which I think is a very rude question. Me too. And I always say I have many babies. My podcast is my baby, my acting career, or a lot of different babies. And um, I'm going back into, I'm going to direct a new project this year. That's my baby. My like, like, I'm writing a different project. That's a baby. I got a lot of babies. I hear you, sister. I am 30, and I have um, a lot of people saying, oh, do you have kids? And I'm like, I have a lot of adult children. I have a lot of, you know, things I'm working on. I'm like, yeah, I do. I have a lot. I have my whole family, you know. Yeah. And I totally agree on you in that. You know, you're a mother in all sorts of ways. And, yeah, I agree. It is a very rude question when someone says, well, when's your next one? Or when are you getting married? Yeah. Or aren't you dating someone? Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's so funny. It's I think it's a way in which people want to be able to relate to you and communicate with you. But, I just wish that we could stay more in the present. People are always trying to ask about your past or your future and not and not enough of like, how are you now currently mm -hmm. sitting in this space? I like, I love that I have Vita and people also like to tell you like, oh, she's so good. Just wait for the next one. I'm like, why don't you just stop at the compliment? Like, she's so good, period. Yeah, exactly. She's so good. She is so good. Look at that beautiful soul. I can totally tell. And those eyes. So yeah, I, that's I, what I tell her all the time. You're beautiful because people can see your soul through your eyes. Exactly. That's so true. Um, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the past, but in a good way. Yeah. Uh, an accompli accomplishment. So I have to tell you, one of my most favorite movies is The Other Woman. I'm, I'm ah, not you. Like, I love so fun, right? It's oh, so my fun. gosh. I love it. And so you um, got to be in that movie. Tell me about that experience. Uh, it, that experience was honestly serendipitously divine is what I say. <laughs> so I, I did a short film that Gina Cassavetes, uh, um, directed. So that's Nick Cassavetes daughter. And she is, she is also a powerhouse as far as creative. And it was such a great short film. And I got to work with Nick Cassavetes on it. Now flash forward to, I think it was like six, nine months later, he is in pre-production for the other woman. I love Nick Cassavetes. I mean, I like the whole Cassavetes family, obviously. Um, and they called, I they, they called and were like, do you want to, do you want to be in the movie? And I'm like, uh, yes. <laughs> so they, he had me in mind for that little part, but 
Perfect. I've always wanted to work in New York City. I hadn't worked in New York City yet, and I had a trailer right in downtown Manhattan. I got to work with one of my comedic mentors, like, idols, a Leslie Mann. Like, the year before, I had accosted Leslie Mann in a Starbucks, and then here I am having a scene with her. I had this gorgeous, I think it was Gucci. I, f- I forget the dress. It was, um, it was couture. I think it was Gucci. This gorgeous dress. It just, it was such a cool, wonderful pinch yourself kind of moment and and easy too but I didn't have a lot of heavy lifting in that film I just got to really go and be a part and watch watch the, some of the legends really work and and Nick is such an incredible what is it Nick is an incredible director hi sweetheart um that that was just cool to be on the other side of his direction for yes. sure hi sweet pea do you want some milk I love it so Alicia, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to the audience for you. Um, Grab help, some milk. Help yes. your little sweet pea. Um, Alicia is literally, gosh, I I don't want to say you're like you're like a queen octopus in the sense that you can do it all. I there's this movie called I just don't know how she does it. I don't know how you do it. Got, I mean, <laughs> I don't like, know either. Like, do you have do you I have help? I I know what. Honey, do you want to sit and watch something for a second? We're just being honest. You can watch uh, us. Abba's, Abba's in Hawaii. I do have help, but sometimes... You want to watch Pajama? Okay. So I love this. She's going to go watch a little something. Hold up a second. No worries. Back, guys. <laughs> guys, this is real life. I love this. As I mentioned the last time when I was interviewing my sister, it took us 45 minutes to be able to even start the podcast. And that's what I'm just being honest is all about. It's about real life. It's about real life situations. It's about vulnerabilities. It's about just being honest. And, um, you know, Alicia, she is a working mother. She's got this, oh my gosh, if you guys could see this child, she is like one of the most gorgeous little girls I've ever seen. I just want to like squeeze her little cheeks. She's so cute, but I won't. I'll abstain. Um, but anyways, we are talking about birthing from within. It's not only a book, but it's the creative process of what Alicia has been going through. She was on um, a movie you may know called The Other Woman with a beautiful cast. Um, she got to experience the New York life. Um, and I want to ask her if that propelled her future projects, um, which we're going to get into now because she has the podcast. And we will we'll, we'll wrap this up pretty soon because I know she's got mama duties on her hands. Um, and maybe sometime down the line we can get her back on the podcast to see how those projects are going. Um so, let me see here. Um, yes, she has her podcast, which y'all should listen to. It's called That One Audition. Let me see. That One Audition podcast. It's on Apple iTunes podcast. Um, also, oh my gosh, as we were mentioning before, you've got to pick up a copy of Life Letters. I'm so intrigued by that book. Um, 
Where else can we find Life Leathers? Life Leathers is on Amazon. Perfect. And also, also my website, alishaoxy.com. Perfect. And I'll put all that in the show notes. We're going to wrap it up, and maybe sometime down the line we can have you back. We can, yeah, we can do a circle back. Of course, you always, you know, this is the thing. How do you do it all? You don't. You don't do it all, no. or you don't do it all well. No, 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 no. And this, is, this podcast is not about perfection. It's about sharing real-life vulnerabilities. It's about sharing the truth. And we, I do want to go further in down the line. I'll put it in the show notes about your current projects. Anything you want to share with us? Yes. Um, I have a lot of great ones that I'm working on right now. I'm reoccurring on a few different shows. So Life Sentence is on the CW, but it's coming to Netflix in the summer. And that is about a girl who's been diagnosed with terminal cancer mm-hmm. and makes all these decisions and then is cured. So what happens if you live like you're dying? Mm. So... And all the, like, different lies in which how people de- deal with grief. It's a beautiful story. I was so happy to be a part of that. And that's that's still airing as we speak right now on Fridays. And then I'm in season four of Ballers, which starts in end of July of this year. And we do – I'm a part of an arc in which they kind of – they kind of imitate Get Out, the movie Get Out. And they – um, are dealing with the Trump NFL kind of crisis where we are at in today's world. And that was really moving a couple of episodes. So I'm really excited about that. And then I just joined the purge for a few episodes. So the purge is going to be on USA and sci-fi. It starts in September. It's based on all the movies, the purge, all the purge movies, but it's basically about what happens if to a society, if they have one night in which they can do unthinkable acts and they don't they they won't be held responsible so you can murder and you can do awful things you can have you can basically have your vengeance and for one night and the cops and the ambulance and nothing runs so people purge so i'm a part of a me too storyline in there actually so all these wonderful pieces of television and the way the world is working right now i'm really excited to be a part of telling that story in a different way and how the world's actually dealing with those stories. I think in ballers and also in the purge, they're trying to handle it in the like, as Hollywood always does like, look world, this is how we should be dealing with it, but this is how the world is actually dealing with it. And then I have a movie called out of blue. It's a BBC film that will be out later this year. And that I can't even describe in words, but is so spectacular. Um, Honestly, I really can't describe it in words, but it's with Patricia Clarkson, Toby Jones, Mammy Gammer, Jackie Weaver, mm. James Conn. So I literally just got to go to set and watch hundreds of years of acting in the making. It just unbelievable. Like it was an incredible experience. And the reason why I can't explain it in words is I it's a neo-noir film in which you are watching what you think is happening but that's not what's really happening. Mm-hmm. That's all I can really say without giving away too much. And then She's in Portland is a beautiful film that'll come out sometime this year. It's with Tommy Dewey and Minka Kelly and a lot of other wonderful people. It's basically a, a road movie about two guys discovering where they are in their life and trying to get to where they want to be in relationships with the women in their lives and the various women they meet along the way on the road trip. It's actually, I'm really excited about that I'm excited about it all I'm happy to always be working as an actress and I love being able to bounce around from different projects and different like characters to explore so yeah it's been a really nice year knock on wood that it continues to fly like this remember mantras mantras share with us one more time your mantra 
fast, easy, happy, healthy, comfortable, and beautiful. I love it. And I have one more question. Yeah. Are you ready? What's your honest truth that has led you on a path to success in maintaining a healthy lifestyle? Ooh, say it again. What's my secret? What's your honest truth that has led you on a path to success in maintaining a healthy lifestyle? It can be anything. I honestly... I think it's about listening and trusting your gut. I think as women, we're already designed to be so intuitive. And I always, I always switch out the words creative, artist, and intuition all at the same time. And I think everybody is creative. Everybody has intuition. Everybody is an artist. And I think that if you can continue to stay clear in your mind, that your body and your heart and your soul will express its, its truth. And if you follow your truth, you, you'll ultimately be successful because that's the way the world works. I think where you find tension and headaches and is when you're, un, like, when you're not balanced and when you're not connected to yourself. When you're not connected to yourself, it's harder to be successful because you're trying – you're trying to shove open doors that are locked and not meant for you. Mm -hmm. So I do my best that when, from whenever I'm trying to do something and I, I feel it in my gut, then I don't worry about success or outcome because I know I'm intended to do what I'm doing. Um, when I'm feeling really unbalanced or I feel like I'm, I'm trying to attach myself to a result, I try to read. I have to recheck what myself to be like what where where is the ego getting in the way here and I think ego is my my coach always says ego is the great killer of creativity I think ego is the great killer of everything ego is good ego is good for boundaries and ego is good it teaches you something just like your emotions teach you but I think it's good to develop a sense of self and in which you can understand your awareness and your person versus your and your awareness and your ego I love so it yeah. I love it. I'm like, seriously, like my eyes are like so dry because I'm trying not to blink and take everything in. Uh, one last thing and then you're going to go hang out with your child. Um, I had to share a story. So in the sixth grade, I think it was the sixth grade, I was the lead in our play. It was called The Elephant's Child. And it was about the story about how the elephant got his trunk. And I had this, oh my God, this crazy, like weird, like trunk hat thing on. And I used this voice and I was like, wiggle, wiggle, you're hurting me. And I got the part and I was the lead and that was like my biggest line. And that was my 15 minutes of fame. But I will, I'm thinking now that you're saying the, the whole tag along auditions, maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll just like go tag along and like jump on set. I don't right. think they'll let me do that these days. It might be hard. Yeah, I, th hard. I think a lot of security. But anyways, Alicia, thank you. I am completely so grateful for your time and your energy and your insight and your stories. And I know we have so much more we could talk about. And we'll circle back down the line and talk about your projects down the line. Um, I want to put all your information in the show notes about the books, about your projects, about your social media, that how people can follow up with you and join and listen in on your podcast. Um, guys, please subscribe to hear more stories just like Alicia's and, um, and you know, comment, rate, review. Do you have any questions you need to ask her? We know that you all have a voice out there. So use it. 
And we're on Apple Podcasts, as I said. iTunes, Simplecast. Join the storyline. Let's get in on this and continue the journey together. Again, it's been a pleasure. This has been the Just Being Honest podcast with your host, KB. Until next time, kiss, kiss, hug, hug, peace, love. Ciao.